Uh, my name's Doug. Most of you know who I am. Uh, for those of you who maybe don't, who've never seen me before, uh, before Jeremy and Kim um, came to pastor this church, um, I was in that role for a number of years. Not in this place, but uh, at the theater at, in Creekside. So. You might say I have some history with this family of God. And so I always count it a privilege if, uh, if I'm asked to speak. Um, because there often are things on my heart that, uh, that I believe God has placed there. And I love to speak just to affirm the reality of God creator of heaven and earth, sustainer of everything. I like to speak about the person of Jesus, God in human flesh, who gave himself for us. And so it, uh, it's good for me to speak, and, and hopefully some of it feels like it was good for you. There's an interesting little phrase uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in chapter 3, and if you read that chapter, it's kind of a philosophical conversation about life. There have been many songs actually written with that chapter in mind. And kind of in the middle of this conversation about life, about the meaning of life, and sometimes it's about the lack of meaning, there is this phrase that God has planted eternity in people's hearts. It's a very interesting phrase. Uh, even people who wouldn't uh, probably say they are very religious in any way seem to have this inner sense, or maybe it's just an inner hope, that death is not the final curtain. That in some way the show goes on. I have always liked old things. I've always liked old cars. Even when I was a teenager, I loved old cars. I love old furniture. I love old homes. And there's, uh, there are a few shows on television that I will admit to watching, and one of them is American Pickers. Some of you may that show, know that show. Some of you probably never heard of it. Uh, one is called Antiques Roadshow, in which people from across America bring their treasures, and they have these high-powered appraisers tell them what it's worth. And very often, when people hear the value of whatever it is that they brought, the reality is, is that treasure was often passed down, perhaps from their grandfather, perhaps from their great-grandfather. And so when they hear the evaluation that it's now worth whatever, they look up and they say, thank you to their grandfather or thank you to their great-grandfather. And it speaks to the fact 
that people have the sense in their heart that there is something more beyond simply life and death. Phil Johnson, some of you may know that name, he's the host of a radio talk show in, well, it goes throughout the Okanagan. And he often, when he's talking about someone who may have passed away, whenever he's talking about death, he always uses the phrase, when they have started their celestial journey. Connor Bedard, first overall draft pick in the NHL. If you're hockey people, you know exactly who I mean. If not, it probably doesn't mean anything. But when they interviewed him, he pulled out of his pocket a little, I think it was a poker chip. And that poker chip was there to remind him of his grandfather who had a big part to play in his life as a, as a young boy and as a young hockey player. And he pulled it out of his pocket and then looked up and made reference to the fact that his grandfather was with him. I don't know if any of these people would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But they have within them the sense that there must be more. And you know what, there is something more, and it is something more that only the kingdom of God can offer you. You're not gonna find it anywhere else. I mean, yesterday was Canada Day across our country. Art has two fine Canadian flags, one on either arm. So millions, well, maybe, well, that's probably not an exaggeration. Apparently, we're over 40 million people in our country, so probably millions of people celebrated yesterday in some form or other. And it's interesting that Canada, on any list of the best places to live on this planet, you almost always find Canada in the top 10 and often in the top Five. Now, given there's about 200 countries in the world, it's pretty good. So in spite of our flaws, which are many as a country, in spite of all the things that may bug us about where we are politically or culturally, we live in a pretty good place for which I must say I am thankful. I'm thankful to live here in many ways. I'm fortunate to live here, and I think in many ways it's the sovereign hand of God in my life is the reason that I'm here. I didn't choose it. But you know it's an earthly kingdom. And while I physically dwell here and we kind of work within this place we call Canada or Lake Country, it's a secular kingdom. 
is going to pass away. The teaching of Jesus, I think, will remind us and remind me this morning that my true citizenship is not here. That our true citizenship as children of God lies in the spiritual kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And most of the songs, if not every song that Josh and the team sang, spoke to the reality of the spiritual kingdom. And these two kingdoms, I'll just say the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God, often and maybe always collide. They always have and they always will. That there is always tension between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom that God came to establish. And they collide because they hold vastly different foundational beliefs, attitudes, and values. And so if we sometimes feel like we're in conflict with the world, the truth is we are. The church always has been. And as children of God, our lives are to exemplify kingdom values as we make our way through the everyday life of Lake Country within this earthly kingdom of Canada. Jeremy asked to speak on John 18, roughly uh, verses 28 to 38. And that passage is Jesus, or you might say the kingdom of God, standing in front of Pilate, representing the kingdom of this world. But if you look at John 18, the whole chapter, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens in that chapter. There's the denial that Peter has to wrestle with. And before Jesus ever gets to Pilate, he is taken before, you might say, the highest religious leaders of the day. So I'm going to read a fairly long section from uh, John chapter 18, and if you're following, you're going to notice that all of a sudden I skip a part and then I jump back in. I'm skipping some of the parts about Peter, but actually I want to focus on the parts where Jesus is confronted by not only Pilate, but the religious leaders of his day. So I think it's up to the screen. The soldiers, the commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. And first they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas, and this is interesting, was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, and he had made this comment earlier, it's better that one man should die for the people. Now, Caiaphas would not have known that what he said was actually a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them, and Jesus replied, 
Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where people gather. I have not spoken in secret, so why are you asking me this question? And the people asking the question, High Priest Annas, High Priest Caiaphas would have been at those sites. It's not like they have never heard Jesus. They have been lurking in the background ever since he started to teach. And Jesus says, why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. And then Annas sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest, And the trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning, and he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them. And if I could just make this comment, it speaks to so much about what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Here they're not going to step into the chambers of the Roman governor because it might defile them and they have zero regard for where their heart is. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, uh, so what is your charge against this man? And the answer they give is so evasive. We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. Pilate says, well, then take him away and judge him by your own law. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. It's rather interesting because as the early church begins, the high priests are right there when they're stoning Stephen. And then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. And as he's interesting, Jesus goes in. And in, in a way, it's almost a foretaste of what the kingdom of God is. He goes in where up until then, people didn't go. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. And Jesus replied, is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, oh, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, "Uh, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate's response sounds like it came right out of 2023. Oh, what is truth? 
Pilate asked him. And then he went out again to the people and told them, he's not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner a year at Passover. Would you like to me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We'll take Barabbas. This is such a mockery. It is such a travesty of justice. But you know this event, it's in no way an isolated event. It's in no way a random event. It is a powerful scene in the redemptive story that is the Christian faith. It's an amazing expression of sacrificial love. It is Jesus, God in human form, standing before the most powerful religious leaders of his day, standing before the powerful Roman governor, Pilate, and he's standing there, people, on our behalf. Because he loves us. And his heart is to redeem mankind. So it's a story with very human characters. I mean, Caiaphas and Pilate, they're people. They're flawed people. But they're people like us, making decisions, taking actions of their own free will. Yet oblivious to the fact that while these events are historical, you might say they were happening in actual time, the script had already been written. That this scene is the unfolding part of a redemptive narrative that God has set in place. And I sometimes think about it, you know, people have this, it's not an argument, but a question about, so do we have free will or is it just the sovereign hand of God at play? And I think in a very mysterious way, people, it is always both. And I think about that even in terms of my own life. You know, I, I would say I, I think I am living out my life having free will. At the very same time, I know that the sovereign hand of God has also been on my life in ways that I do not understand. But it is something for which we need to humbly say thank you to God that his sovereign hand has touched us. And in this scene, we see what I think is a stark contrast of kingdoms. Um, It's the kingdom of God, or as Matthew usually referred to it as the kingdom of heaven, humbly confronting both the political rulers of the day, but also the spiritual rulers of the day. 
And this, if you want to call it a trial, clearly demonstrates that even religious institutions, religion itself can mirror the same flaws we see in the kingdoms of this world. That religion, without the presence of the Spirit of God, will look and act exactly like the kingdoms of this world. Perhaps with a spiritual veneer or a spiritual facade. And this scene kind of reflects to me what happens when politics and religion form alliances. It is never good for the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, these religious leaders have been plotting Jesus' demise ever since he started preaching, teaching, healing people, and maybe most importantly, drawing big crowds. Ordinary people listening to Jesus said, wow, he speaks with authority unlike their own religious leaders. And the people were compelled to follow Jesus. And Caiaphas and others would have heard him speak, would have seen the crowds, and for them, Jesus posed a threat to their power, their authority, their influence. And yet they could probably see that, you know what, people are flocking to him. So it's almost as if the religious leaders said, well, we don't want to do anything too rash in fear of what the people might do. So they see that maybe we can have an ally in the kingdoms of this world. Let's let Pilate do the dirty work for us. But you know, Roman troops uh, don't just simply show up. When Jesus was arrested, there were Roman troops there. There were temple guards there. Roman troops don't simply show up unless there has been a conversation somehow about, here's the plan. And the arrest takes place under the veil of darkness. It's secretive. And in a way, it's a sad picture of the kingdoms of this world assuming they can outmaneuver the kingdom of God. And you might say on the surface for a couple of days, it might have appeared that they had won. We know that Jesus was crucified. We know that Jesus was buried. But a few days later, the crucified Jesus became the risen Jesus. And the risen Jesus became the exalted Jesus, 
who today sits on the right hand of God on our behalf, and he calls us his children. And he invites people from all the kingdoms of the world to come into the very presence of God and to be part of the kingdom of God. You know, these flawed characters, as they kind of fumble through what you might call, you know, a mockery of justice, they exhibit what you might call the flaws and weaknesses of every kingdom of this world. Well, we, we sang a song uh, about blessed be the Lord. And there's a line in, say, in there that said, when all is right with the world. And it caused me to smile a little bit uh, because all has never been right with this world. We live in a flawed kingdom of this world reality. And what I was looking and thinking about this scene, the words that came to my mind about the kingdoms of this world and about, let's say, the religious people in this scene is that they were secretive, they were evasive, they were manipulative, they were self-serving, They were weak, and you might say cowardly, in their actions. As they cease, in a sense, to pass the buck. Pilate saying, well, you know, you take him, you deal with him. The religious leader saying, "Uh, no, um, how about if you take him, you deal with him. And it's almost as if those people knew full well that the only honorable, the only innocent person in this entire story was standing right in front of them and they would actually did not want to have the blood of Jesus on their hands. So we have the powerful, humble presence of God Submitting to flawed human authority for us, on our behalf. I see that picture and it's like humble strength of Jesus standing in front of weak power. Truth standing in front of lies and deception Amazing love standing in front of hate. And John in chapter 20 says, you know what, there were a lot of other things that happened that Jesus did and said and miracles, but he said all of these things are written so that you might believe and that in believing you might have what? Eternal life. 
You can have that life that God has written on every man's heart. You can have it. And as I was thinking about that, I, I put up, I created this little, well, I guess it's maybe a chart, just in terms of thinking about the scene in front of Pilate. And you see demonstrated those things which seem to be part of every kingdom of this world. Many people, if you look down the left-hand side, would say, yeah, you know what, that's the way I feel about Canadian politics. On the right hand, you see the incredible values, traits, characteristics of the kingdom of heaven. And you could put over that chart, I think, a number of different filters. You could put the filter of the church. It's possible for the church to exemplify things that are on the left-hand side. You could place on that chart the filter of our own lives. And to be honest, you would say, Doug, as much as I would not want to admit it, at times I see me on the left-hand side of this chart. We need to be on the right-hand side. And that does not mean we need to be perfect. But the values, the example of Jesus standing so humble, so powerful, so full of truth, is where we need to be standing as people and as a church. And we only stand there, people, if our lives are full of the spirit of the living God. That the presence of God needs to be flowing through our lives in order for us to say, yes, I know I struggle with the left-hand side, but my heart, my mind, my soul is firmly planted on the right-hand side in the kingdom of God. The kingdom language in this conversation between Pilate and Jesus, you know, so are you a king or... It's a bit of a charade. Well, you said the word kingdom, so you, you must be a threat. Yet Jesus said, well, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a kingdom without political agenda. It's a kingdom without political ambitions. This scene is Jesus living out kingdom values for all of us to see. And maybe it's a reminder to me this morning, and maybe it's not a bad reminder even on a weekend where we're celebrating this earthly kingdom. That while the kingdoms of, the, of this world are necessary, and the Bible talks about that, They are all deeply flawed people. 
Our hope does not lie in them. And our hope does not lie in our ability to change them. And I think sometimes the church thinks it does. Our hope and our assurance, our peace, our joy is rooted in the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. It's a kingdom that will not pass away. It's a kingdom in which all who say yes to God, one true God, creator of heaven and earth, all who say yes to the God in human flesh who gave himself for us, those who say yes are ushered into a kingdom that'll never pass away. And the Bible talks about that decision of a human heart as the process of being born again. Reborn to the family of God. And you know, as children of God, in a sense we carry with us a spiritual passport. Not written on a piece of paper, but a spiritual passport written on our very hearts. A passport that someday will allow us to travel to pass from death into life eternal. It's a beautiful passport. So I just say this morning, God help me, help us to live out this kingdom well. And every sermon has to have an application. And maybe if I've already spoken to it, but I want to end simply with um, some more scripture. Um, it's Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And in this letter, he references, I'm going to say, exactly this scene. Jesus standing in front of Pilate. And he says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. So, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Let's pray. Uh, God, I just say thank you for the incredible example of Jesus. And Father, I pray this morning that each of us would pause, perhaps pause more than we often do, and reflect that truly our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. The Father, you know us, you know our ways. And Father, there's a place in heaven for each one of us. So we thank you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.